Hello folks and welcome to the third episode of the Shout of the Oval podcast. So first of all I have to say apologies for the quite nasally voice. Um, so I tested positive for COVID-19 this week so I've been really quite ill. Um, tested positive on Monday so that's what the podcast was recorded but we managed to get through it and it was great. You're in for an absolute treat. This week's guest as you already know is Curtis Allen. Now, Curtis was recently inducted into the Kentucky Legends on the pitch against Ballonia. So we talk about that, but like all our guests, we go right back to the start of his career at Bournemouth, where he started off, and we go right the way through to the present day at Corian. But there is a good 45 minutes in there of uh, talk about his time at Kentucky. So um, lots to get through, lots to, to listen to and talk about. Um, Curtis's love for Ghent Horn is obviously still very evident. Um, he's passionate about the club. Uh, he makes no secret of how much he wanted to remain out of the club. Um, it's a really in-depth interview where he talks about the good times and the bad times, some difficult times when we were stuck for money and there was the gates locked and training sessions when they were turning up and training without nets, but also good times like winning the Irish Cup and scoring on his debut and everything in between. So hopefully you enjoy this one. Hopefully uh, I'm not too nasally churning. And uh, thanks for thanks for listening. So here you go. Here's the share of the old podcast with Curtis Hall. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Shout at the Oval podcast. And I'm absolutely delighted to have with me here today, Curtis Allen. Uh, Curtis, welcome and uh, how are you? I'm all right and thanks for having me on and not doing too bad. I'm not kicking much football, but um, I'm okay. So we're, it's a bit of an A&E waiting room today because I've actually got COVID and uh, Curtis has hurt his foot. So how, how is the injury, Curtis? Is it, is it a sore one? It's a sore one. I've fractured um, or stress fracture on a bone in my foot. Um, originally, we didn't think it was broke, so sort of pushed back getting a scan and things like that and tried to take a wee bit of a break and then I came back and managed to get through training, albeit on quite a lot of tablets. And then I came off the bench against Dungannon and thought, you know, that's my season started, you know, and we're going to get going. And I just knew, you know, something wasn't right. Um so after match, I said they are like something's not right here. I need to get the scan. So you know, fair play to them. We got the scan pretty much that week, and it came out that you know I did have the, the fracture on it, unfortunately. So I'm wearing a big sort of air cast boot, and I'm on crutches, and it's not ideal, you know. But um, it, it is what it is. I was I was flying in pre-season. I felt really good, probably the best I felt since you know maybe the year before I left Glentorn, you know, when I had obviously the injury there. And I was really, really looking forward to the season. So it's it's unfortunate, but you know, I have to say, you know, my, my career I've never had too many injuries. Um, you know, at this sort of stature, I've never broken any bones running. So I can't be too disheartened. And it's just one of the things and it's and looking to the positives, you know, and hopefully I can get back as soon as possible and, and still contribute, you know, a lot this season. I mean, it's it's sort of I was speaking to you a couple of weeks ago, you have uh, you have been very lucky with injuries throughout your career. Um, but it's sort of Caps, what's been a pretty frustrating time for you since you've um sort of since leaving the Glens or since just before the Glens, obviously with the injury you had there and then going to Corey and lockdowns and just seem, can't seem to catch a lucky break. Yeah, the injury at the Glens was basically came from overtraining. I think you know, well, not going to too much, but I think I trained far too much. Um, 
had that injury and, and obviously then went to Korea and started to manage it, started to get back, you know, sort of in, in the way of things. And COVID obviously killed a lot of, you know, trying to get pre-season and stuff. And, and obviously I haven't played in a year since it signed. So it took me a long time to get back, sort of trying to get fit, trying to get match fit because I needed matches. And obviously, um, you know, there was no real other games other than the first team game. So I was picking up bits and pieces of time here and there. Um, and then when I did get in, you know, when I got fit, the, the games that I did play, especially near the tail end of the season, that was when it, I was starting to feel great. You know, when I scored some good goals and I was starting to look more like myself. And then that would really gear me up, you know, for this season. And I really thought that the off-season worked on what I was doing and, you know, I wasn't training too much and, and you know, I wasn't not doing anything. Came in the pre-season, absolutely bouncing, really looking forward to this season. Played the second leg, you know, of the Europa League and, and played pretty well. And then it was just unfortunate. I think, you know, we've, we've sort of narrowed it down that within training, Big Skinner fell on top of me. And that's, if there's ever a man you don't want to fall on top of you, it's, it's the big man, like, you know, and... I think from that, I think I've probably got the fracture in my foot, unfortunately. But as I said, it's it's one of them things. And, and for a play to Korean, they've, they've been fantastic in terms of you know getting me scans and just I'm just paying for anything I need to try and get me back. And you know, I, it's I just can't wait to get back and, and get playing because we've obviously the new pitch and, and things like that, and lots of good things happening and fans back. And um, it's it's unfortunate, but sure, it's not the end of the world. Pretty impressive crowds, Korean. I've seen the last the first two crowds there. They're pretty pretty impressive stuff. Yeah, I think outside, you know, Glen Thorne and Field, Korean have probably over the last few years always averaged, you know, the next biggest. And, and I think with a new pitch and obviously the way Korean have been playing recently with Europe and, and, and things like that and, and finishing obviously second in the league a couple of times, you know, that the fan base is there. It's kind of, you think of these incentives and it's the same for most of the club. They're trying to think of these incentives and things like that to get people out, you know, um, out of the house and watching the games and fair play to a lot of the ice fleet clubs if they're coming up with all sorts of things you know a pound in for kids and, and things like that and I think generally obviously with COVID now the restrictions being lifted people want to come out and think you know what but we may as well go and watch the match and, and, and things like that So I'll tell you what way I want to do the podcast I usually go back I sort of go over some of your career uh, and then we obviously get to the Glens and we'll talk about that So with yourself um, obviously your career sort of Probably started at Bournemouth. Um, how how did that move come about? Um, basically, well, I was playing obviously at St Andrews and stuff, and I was approached. I went over on trial. I was in trial at actually uh, Sheffield United, I think I might have been at the time. And basically, you know, I got approached after by a guy who was an agent, and basically just said to me, "Listen, you know, have you got an agent? You know, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to sort of look at you or whatever else." And and you know, I think it could help you within your career and maybe try and get you a move. And you know, it's obviously then contact my dad and all this here. And I said, yeah, that'd be great. And he got me the, the trial at Bournemouth. You know, he'd obviously contacted Bournemouth whatever and said, listen, we'll bring this boy over. And went over and, and they offered me a contract while I was over there. So it was lucky in a sense, you know, that he was there to maybe the game when I was over in the trial. And, and then it came that way. And, you know, it helps, it's, it, I must say it was, it was a fantastic move, move for me because it was a, it was a brilliant place. And did you enjoy your time at Bournemouth in general, football-wise, and obviously the, the place Bournemouth? I loved it. I absolutely loved it. The, the place living, it's, it was fantastic with the weather and, you know, the beach and the lifestyle was very relaxed. Made some fantastic friends as, you know, we still chat through now. And football-wise, took me a wee while to settle in, as you'd imagine, you know, somebody come from Northern Ireland. Warren Feeney was at the club and just left as I came. So no other, you know, people from this sort of side of the water and, 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 that's difficult in itself at times, um, but after I got settled in, as I say, it was fantastic, and 
um, you know, played in some decent games and things like that. You know, managed to get my, my professional deal. It took me into the first team, and from then, you know, obviously it was it was probably unfortunate times not to maybe they get playing more, and there was a managerial change within that, and I think that probably killed me a wee bit. That uh, Sean O'Driscoll moved on to Doncaster, and and Kevin Bond came in, who was. Um, like basically Harry Redknapp's right hand man at Portsmouth at the time and I think he did go to Tottenham with Harry Redknapp in the end um, and he brought in a lot of sort of Harry's reserve team players at Portsmouth to give them game time you know I was in League One and that sort of pushed you know boys like myself sort of further down the ranks and, and, and sort of limited opportunities so um, that sort of took the, you know, the, the, the career at Bournemouth sort of away. And were you surprised at the rise of Bournemouth then? Having you seen being the inside of the club, going from League One to the Premier League under Eddie Howe, um, was that a shock? Um, I suppose, yeah, you probably was at the time. It was always a decent team and we're always on that sort of periphery of, you know, trying to get in the playoffs or, you know, and things like that. And I suppose uh, Eddie Howe was in the first team, you know, when I was there. Um, They were attracting, you know, some some better players, and it's fantastic because, as I say, it's, it's you know it's not the biggest club in the world, we know where it is, but it's a lovely club, lovely people in Bournemouth, and and you know, I was really pleased that they, they they did get up there, and they're still knocking about, you know, in the big leagues. And you're saying that you made a lot of friends over in Bournemouth. Did you anyone you played with go on to make it at a decent level? Um, well, Adam Lallana would have been from Bournemouth, so his best friend would have been somebody I would have been very close with. So, um. I would have been right and friendly with him and I went on holiday and all together and things like that. And he was at Southampton at the time. And, and there was a stage actually he was coming going to come on loan to Bournemouth. And he was all set to come on loan. And I think the Bournemouth fans were excited because a lot of them knew him sort of from being local. And in the last minute, the, the deal was sort of shut down and he pulled out. And, and they've never really said why it happened. But I always thought for him, it was probably a massive thing because if he had came down to Bournemouth on loan and maybe not made the cut or, you know, just had a couple of bad games... Southampton might have looked at him differently and, and things like that, and he didn't come in the end. And then Southampton were having that sort of financial difficulties and threw a load of young lads in, and he went in there and done really well. And then the next thing you know, he was off to Liverpool. So I always thought that was just that, that just shows you in football that you know things can happen for a reason and, and and luck. And I think him maybe not going on that loan move maybe could have made his career because it could have went a different way if he came down. He, he was a very good player, so he probably went down and, and done well. But you just never know with him things, you know. I noticed when I was doing a bit of research, um, that you actually did you go on loan at Leighton Orient? Yeah, I was. I had I had a season ticket for Leighton Orient. I, I lived in East London for four years at uni, and it was a really good club, um, a really good community club. Obviously, they're competing with West Ham, so it's quite difficult. So they do have to. Reach it's, it's London, isn't it? It's, it's tricky living in London and things like that. And um, I was living in my agent's house at the time and stuff, and. I didn't probably enjoy it that much, just the whole, you know, I mean, London life. And I didn't, you know, going from Bournemouth, as I say, it was so relaxed and all that there, and then going to London, traveling about yourself and not knowing really anybody. And um, it was a tricky enough time, you know, and I was hoping that, you know, I would have went back and um, had more of a go out of Bournemouth. But I think Kevin Bond at the stage had sort of made his mind up on me and he basically just said, listen, you know, I think you're a good player in that, but you know, what we're sort of needing for now. And they weren't looking to bridge young lads into the team, really, you know. And so was it, moving back home then, um, was that quite difficult to cope with? Um, or did you sort of just come to terms up pretty quick? It, it was difficult, I think. I'd been over there and been doing pretty well in terms of, you know, Bournemouth, 
kind of professional, you know, deal in that. I've been doing pretty well, scoring goals for Northern Ireland, sort of 17s, 19s and things like that. So I think when you come back family-wise, friends-wise and all that, there you sort of feel like you failed because they all know you're over there and then all of a sudden you're back home. Um, a central Lisbon story and no disrespect to Lisbon story, but they only sang her because I knew Paul Kirk. And he, as a manager, and it was only because he used to come and take me on as in primary school for like an IFA thing. Never spoke to any other club, just went there, signed, um, basically got into a job working in River Island pretty quickly and, and, and sort of came down to the world with a bump, you know, went from living in Bournemouth with an apartment looking over the beach and, and things like this. And the next thing I was working in River Island, nine to six and going to training, seven to nine. And, you know, that, that certainly brought me back down to earth from the life of a professional footballer to a full-time job and train at night. And it was definitely stages where I thought, I don't know where I, you know, I want to do football anymore because with Andy Waterworth there, Gary Brown, and our armor, so I was struggling to get in a team to still be struggling to sort of adapt to the Irish League life and how the games would be different. And I took a lot of sort of mental strength to try and, you know, make it just stick in there and think, you know, we'll get chances and whatever else. And Andy Waterworth going to um, Hamilton in the end opened the door for me and, you know, for the next season and came in and, and, and played most of the season, scored 25 goals. And, you know, that sort of set me off on my Irish League career. And did it see John in that experience? Obviously, you going from full-time football to come back home to Lisbon Distillery, who, I mean, that's... Bournemouth to Lisbon Distillery is obviously quite a big jump. Most players who come home from England probably find themselves at Linfield, Glenthorne, Cliftonville, someone, you know, up the um, upper echelons of the league, a big, a big club as such. So John, that experience now, um, how would you... Would you have any advice for a young person who is being, who's coming home, who's making that move? Well, I would definitely say to anybody who's got the opportunity to go, a million percent, tell them to go to England, you know, and listen, if you go over there to England or Scotland and you have a couple of years and you don't make it, it's not the end of the world, you know, but it made me as a person, it, you know, matured me and, and I got to live a life that, you know, many people maybe only dream of in terms of training. But for somebody who, you know, has come back home, it's not easy. You know, it's not easy to come back home and, and, and you know, everybody thinks that the dream of going over and all the hype of going over to be a professional football, and especially now with social media, your players are hyped up a lot more, even more so. And it's hard to come back, and it is a different league. We all love the Irish League. It's like no league like anywhere else in the world. But it's self-belief. You know, it's it's mental toughness. And it's all these attributes you would need to have to become a professional footballer, whether it be in Northern Ireland or be in England. You need to have a mental strength. You need to have a self-belief in yourself. And you need to be able to sacrifice things um, for football. I've said a lot of times now, part-time footballers in Northern Ireland make so many sacrifices, probably more so than what professional players do in England because they're out working, they go and play a match, they then have to get up in the morning and go to work. They're, miss, you know, um, they're missing parties, weddings, things like this. And, and I've complained about it before, the Irish League or Niffle, whoever does these fixtures are the worst. And they've caught me a couple of times and I still see them catching boys where, say, you know, if, you know, Friday nights or something, you've got a dinner or something, something's happening. And the next thing you get the, the message through, our match has changed to the Friday night. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you look at that, you know, and I think it even happened a couple of that on Glen Avon, uh, Jimmy Glacken there on Friday night, he was at a wedding. And he obviously, you know, we had that wedding planned and, and obviously it would have been fine. He could have went, wouldn't have had his drinks and came and played the match on the Saturday. But then obviously the game was changed to Friday. And what, you know, what do you do? Do you miss the wedding? Do you not? And 
unless you know for the majority of you know players and things lucky enough orange you know that type of manager who look at it and go listen and understand it you know it's don't worry about it and give that wee bit of leeway but I know there's other managers in this that he would have just said tough luck you have a match come yeah. and play no so, definitely you know, it's that sorts of things that you know players have to deal with and listen it's fantastic you've got a great opportunity you're getting paid but if you come back from England you know it's, it's self-belief it's, it's, it's mental strength and, and, and dealing with all them sorts of um, distractions that you have at home you know mates oh come on out and have a drink or you know, actually, when you got football, can you not miss training on this? You know, this sort of thing. And there's a hell of a lot more distractions over here because, you know, maybe your friendship groups aren't just the ones from the football team and things like that. And if you can deal with, with all them things and you've got the ability, then you, you, you'll rise to the top. And, and that's why you see certain players who come back from England and have had a big hype and then they drop away from Irish League football, you know, within a couple of years. And that's where you see some players will come back and they'll, they'll be top players in their own league for numbers of years because they've got them attributes and they've got the ability to sacrifice things and, and, and have that mental strength that, you know, they, they still want to be the best. Yeah, and I mean, I had a friend who played full-time football over in England and Scotland um, as a younger player. And I'll never forget sort of not working out for him and him coming home to the Irish League and him putting the Facebook status up one day saying, are there any jobs going? And I thought that must be extremely tough on a young player who had it all, was playing with proper stars over in England and Scotland, and then has to come back and look for that full-time work. Well, that's it. It's, it's, it's mad, but that's what you've got to deal with, you know. And as I say, it's sooner or later, in terms of my own career, you know, I came back and was disappointed. My ambition was always to go back across the water. Um, you know, obviously I was working on things, but I went obviously from Linfield to Korean and then managed to get a move back across. Um, and when I came back for the second time from Inverness, I'd say to myself, that's it, you know, I know I'm gonna, football's going to be here now. I don't want to be, you know, going full time anymore. And then I started to look in Wells World to see if I can get a career. And I think that's probably the best thing for footballers, you know, when you come back, you, you need to sort of think, Joe, well, the ambition's still there. I can still get a chance to get across the water. But what else can I do? You know, kind of, kind of start thinking beyond football because even if you're a full-time footballer in England, you, you know, I mean, it's a short career. You're always going to need something, and I think if you've got something like that, um, that can help you along the way too because it gives you a little bit of insurance policy that if things don't work out. You have a career there, or you have a decent job. You know, um, sort of waiting on you. And do, do you notice just in general, not the players who went to the full-time game and came back, just in general with young players, do you notice a difference in young players now compared to when you were sort of, um, younger and starting off in football, just with their everything, their attitude, the ability, maybe the pressures that come with social media and things? I think the attitude, and I think I think the whole Irish League's improved in terms of that, the attitude towards, you know, not just in football, but, you know, in terms of going to the gym, healthy eating and all, you know, all these things are now fashionable. Ten years ago, or just over ten years ago, when I would come back, you know, it would have been more of a drinking culture in the Irish League football. There were still good players, but that culture would have been there, and you probably could have got away with it. No, you can't. You know, there's players, especially young players, you know, you're looking at boys coming and they're, they're physically very big, physically very strong. That's because they're going to the gym, they're eating right and things like that. And I think the opportunities are there now more so than ever for players to go across the water. We look at, like, you know, Stuart, Stuart Dallas, Shane Lavery, you know, most, most recently, that the opportunities are there. If you've got the ability and you've, you know, you've got the... Um, the attributes there's a big chance to go make it big and I, and I think young players are, are understanding that now and uh, if anything gets burning through the league because you know, teams are starting to give players young players more of a chance because 
if they've got a bit of ability, well, why not give them a bit of a chance? Because we could make a fortune off this boy too, you know, in that sort of sense. So I think in this sort of era that we're in and, and Irish League's improving and things, there's, there's fantastic opportunities and I definitely see a different attitude in terms of young players now. When you're playing against them, on a, you know, on the pitch and they're, and they're giving it the big gun and you're sort of thinking you've only played about five games here, but it's a different story. But, you know, off the pitch and, and, and things they got to... They're fine, and I, you know, I'm glad to see it because it's only going to help Barry's league, and it's only going to help Northern Ireland football as a whole. Definitely, I agree. And uh, so, going back to the story, uh, the story under Paul Kirk were a bit of a success story. There was a few top four finishes in there. They were sort of um, challenging for trophies. They were getting in the Santana Cup, um, and it is a shame to see where they are now. I had a look the other day, and I noticed that they're rock bottom of their league. You know, it is a bit of a shame. But did you enjoy your time at the story and working with Paul Kirk? I loved it, and it was. Obviously, after the first year, it was bedding in and stuff. And then once it came into the team, it was fantastic. It was some great... I still say it now, Darren Armour, you know, had a massive effect on my career as a player because I was a young lad coming in the ice league with your likes of your Winky Murphys and, and, and players like this who were hard, hard boys. And, you know, they wouldn't, wouldn't think twice of trying to intimidate you as a young player. I'm starting to get a wee bit of hype about me and, and they were trying to retrack in the book. And anything that you know sort of went on, Darren Armour was was on on it, you know, and he and he looked after me massively in terms of things like that on the pitch and let me go and do what I needed to do. And he sort of took care of all the, the nitty gritty that you know I didn't really know what to do. I didn't, you know, wasn't an experienced pro. I've been across the water, but it's completely different football than it is here, you know. And then you have players like Peter McCann and and Ryan McCann and, and boys like that who were so experienced and their personalities were fantastic in the change room and. Absolutely loved my time there. Paul Kurt was a great manager. His man management was was similar to what Orange was, where he was very good man management skills. And we had a good team. You know, we were coming, as you say, we we're coming fourth. You know, we we're getting European football. Uh, we, I think we were beating the semi-final league cup in extra time one year. And then it all just sort of collapsed down. You know, the, the sacked Paul Kirk for underachieving. Um, and then, you know, the, the guy that it was um Tommy Steele, I think, who was the, the chairman of the club, was sort of best friends with Paul Kirk, and he was the money man. He was the one pumping all the money in, and he pulled out too, and, and the whole thing just fell down around him. I mean, it is a shame. Uh, I mean, you can barely see the match from the stand, but I still, I still did enjoy it, that trip to the Bally Sky. Yeah, well, that's, that was funny, because it was about 15 fans, but they sang, and they sort of made jokes about themselves. But it was nice, you know, and that's the thing. You're, the dog track and the rest of it all going on, but... For me, it's always, you know, have a place you know, within my football career because it was massive for me, you know, sort of starting off my Irish League career there and, and, and the opportunities that I got there. So I'm really sad to see where they are, you know, and it's disappointing, but it's just one of them things in football. And, I mean, you spoke there about Darren Armour, and I have to say, Darren Armour, I think, was one of the most underrated players um, to play in the Irish League. He was excellent for Glentorn. He really was. He was a proper goal scorer. Him, um, Andy Smith and Michael Halliday scored 80-odd goals between them one season. Like He was, he was yeah. a top player. What a, what a player to learn off. Well, that's it. He was a top player, and, and he was a scary player. He was he was another, like... Um, but I used to love his finishing because he very rarely ever sort of whacked. You see players even nowadays now, even in the Premier League, and it, it, it sort of grinds on me still. And I suppose that's something I've took from him about players missing the target. Now, listen, I know everybody misses the target now, now and again, but it's just, you know, hit as hard as I can. You know, there's no accuracy. It's just hit and hope. And he was a player that never did that. He always side-footed things and, you know, and just rolled things into corners. And he made it look so effortless. And, um, you know, I used to look at him and think, that's fantastic. And I've tried to myself, you know, and finishing and things like that. And 
as I say, he was, you know, he's massive in the change room and he was massive on the pitch for me for, for just looking after me, looking out for me, you know, and, um, he, you know, he obviously seen something in me that he wanted to try and pass that on. And, and, and that's what I'm trying to do, I suppose, to a certain extent, you know, now when I'm, you know, sort of in the latter stages of my career and trying to do it with, you know, Paul Neal and, and, and Robbie, you know, Robbie McDade at, at the Glens. And, and now you've, you know, we, Matthew Shatton um, up at Korean, who I'm trying to sort of help along the way, you know, and, and, and try and give tips and, and, and different things and, and talk them through it but the way that Darren Armour did for me. Uh, Robbie McGee, I've heard him credit you a few times in interviews, um, although he says that he paid you back by doing all your running. Yeah, he did say that point often. And so I, I really appreciate it. He, he did say that. Now, I'm not sitting here now saying that, you know, I made Robbie McDade's career. I didn't. He's, you know, he's worked very hard and he, he had a natural ability and, he, and he's a fantastic player. But, you know, I tried to chat them at times or tried to say, you know, try and things like this and, and just little tricks and, and, and things like that and strategies that, you know, I've picked up in my years through the Irish League. Um, whether it's band files or, or finishing or movements within the box. And it's something I talk to Matthew Shelton a lot of, at the minute about his movement in the box. And for me, you know, without giving too much, you know, I'm still playing, but, you know, I'm not the most physical player, you know, or whatever, but I score a lot of headers because my movement's good. And, you know, it doesn't matter how good a header the ball the defender is, if your movement's good, you know, you can get in there and you'll get chances. And then it's up to me, you know, it's not a battle. Because I can get the movement and, and you know get in front of a player or get in behind a player, and then it's up to me to finish it and, and I back myself, you know, nine times out of ten to score and, and and things like that. If you can add that to your, um, you know, to your your, your game, you could be getting ten extra ten goals a season. And then obviously, um, so after the story comes the, the black mark against your name when you move the Orcross City Rivals, uh, <laughs> Linfield. So how how would you summarise your time at Linfield? I think um. You were played out of position a lot of your time at Linfield. Um, how would you look back on that time? And how did the move come about? It's a strange one. Obviously, the move came about from Paul Kirk getting sacked and, and the, all the players had separated with two contracts, with one with the club, one with the, the chairman. And, and I said, if the manager was sacked, he'd freedom of contract. So that was sort of the demise of Lisbon Stoney because a lot of the players then were able to leave on a free. Um, Morecambe, or not, yeah, Morecambe, sorry, had a, and Sammy McElroy had offered me a deal um, to go back across the water. And pretty much, it was all sort of, it was all, all sort of agreed, and, and I pulled out last minute. And why did I pull out? I just I thought it wasn't the right time for me to go back. I still wanted to go back, but it probably just came a year too quick. I just settled down after the year of misery and working and, and you know, not really enjoying football. I just had a fantastic year. It's got 25 goals. I was back home with my family and loving life again, you know, and loving football. And all of a sudden, this chance comes to go to, to leave all that again and go back across the water. And you have doubts, you know, is it going to be the same? Am I going to just be hating it? You know, I'm, you know, and it's a big thing for any player to go across the water and move away. Um, so I decided I wasn't going to go, and I went and spoke to Linfield, and, and you know, and, and agreed there. They obviously had a full time setup, and um, for several of the players, and, and decided then. I was going to go there. I think my, my agent was speechless. And I think uh, the Morecambe chairman was speechless too because he had flew home from holiday just to do the press conference. And then I'd obviously pulled out last minute. So Sammy Rack always never spoke to me since. <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> but it was one of them things and it was the decision I made. And less than the two years I had at Linfield, uh, sort of limited chances. You know, scored a hat-trick on my debut. Obviously got the injury. I, I'd done quite well in the pre-season and then I got hurt. I hurt my ankle in, in pre-season. Came back from that, 
scored a hat-trick on the Friday night for the reserves and only played a half and then started the game against Newry on the Saturday and scored a hat-trick. So, you know, the fantastic start and, and, and then it sort of fits and, and starts, you know, of where I was in the team. And yes, as you say, I was playing in a position to be better playing as a winger and different places. And um, my time, listen, I won two leagues there and I was disappointed. I was left out of two Irish League Cup finals and I featured in both semi-finals. Um, which was a big, big heartache for me. Obviously, didn't find out to the day of the Irish Cup. Uh, one of the times I knew it wasn't the squad because we went to the Ramada. Uh, and one of the newspapers, they do a little thing with the captains, and the captains, a bit of banter, the captains will then talk about each player, you know, give a bit of crack. And I wasn't in it. So I immediately knew I wasn't in the squad. I knew because I wasn't in the bit, the thing it said about, you know, and I thought I'm not in the squad. And then, as you know, the ball went upstairs and I wasn't in the squad. A year later, I thought definitely can't happen again. Paul Monster was leaving, and he'd made it clear he was leaving. I already sort of thought I may go, but Linfield didn't know that at the time. And I played in the semi final, and then was left out again two years in a row, and just broke my heart, you know. And that was it. That was uh, my mind was not completely made up, but that that made it up for me, you know. And both times we we won the Irish Cup. I just stood in the chain or the, the showers when they had the cup and stuff in because just you just don't feel part of it. And I've been there myself, you know, in, in terms of you know, winning something and even the league cup of Korean. Uh, big Emmett McGuckin, who's a character now, was left out of the squad and, and I said to him, you know, I felt really bad because I'd just signed and it was probably me that took his position within the squad. And I knew how that felt for me, you know, in terms of the Irish Cup. And I know that I went and said to him, listen, you know. It's horrible at the minute, but just try not to, to sort of let it affect it too much. And, and to refer to the big man, you know, he had his wee moment and then he came in and he was fantastic. And you, nobody wants to see a Sultan player. And that's why I tried to stay out of the way of it, you know, in, in, in the Irish Cup days. But that sort of summed up my career where it was sort of, sometimes it was very good. And sometimes, you know, I wasn't having opportunities and, and I didn't particularly like it. And the full-time setup wasn't really ideal of where it wasn't really full-time. We were training during the day, but we were also training at night. So it was very mentally draining for the players and, and you know, sometimes we'd maybe players injured and we'd only maybe two or three training there was no goalkeeper and things like that. So I can see what Linfrey were trying to do with the full-time, but it wasn't really full-time at the same, you know, the same stretch. Yeah, and you saying about being left out of the cup final squads, um, it takes a lot of mental resilience to re- sort of recover from that. And I do remember um, it was Marcus Keane. He was um, left out in, t- in 2012 for Linfield. Um, and then he won it with the Glens in 2013. And it always stuck with me that his dad wrote something on Facebook at the time saying, you know, last year you had a cup final suit and a winner's medal, but, you know, you were disappointed and then look at you this year. Uh, I think it, that's probably spurred you on to go on and do as well as what you did in Corian. Well, that's it. You know, and, and, and obviously, you know, then I, I you know, started the Irish Cup final for Glen Torn that year myself and, and we won and it, and it felt fantastic because obviously, you know, it had that sort of heartache and I think we made a joke about it um, I scored. I obviously scored the goal in the, the semi-final. We beat one, you know, Cruz one nil. Um, did a little press conference after. And there was a joke about you know the final and what do you think about the final loss here? And somebody said about well, do you know if selected? Because obviously you know we never know. And it's sort of semi-final at the time, obviously. And um, lucky enough, I knew that there was definitely going to be at least in the squad, if not starting. You know, it was brilliant. They obviously win that one, and that little Irish Cup win sort of meant just a wee bit more because of that. And obviously, so then moving on from Linfield, you went to Corian, um, and you were saying it was in the back of your mind in the May time of that year that you were going to move on or whatever. Um, how did that move come about, and why why Corian? Or just contacted me, and you know, a couple of 
sort of people will contact me within the within the, the league. Obviously, it came to Linfield with a big, you know, sort of backing behind me in terms of goals. And that happens a lot at Linfield. You know, players will go there and then they don't sort of maybe make the cut or they, you know, don't get the opportunities they want and they go elsewhere. But clubs aren't, you know, clubs are on the radar. They know. I, sp- I spoke to the Glens at that stage and a couple of other teams, but Orn basically rang and I said, listen, you know, wasn't in our thoughts at all. But we said, listen, out of courtesy, We'll come up and see, and he says, "We'll meet you halfway." And I said to Madame, "I said, no, do you know what? We'll go up and have a look." So we said, "No, we'll jump. we'll drive up, and we drove up, and he, you know, took us around and all sorts of bits of the club and and various things they got, and just sort of his philosophy. And ironically, at that stage, Orm was only Orm was the same age as I am now. I think it was about 32, 33. And and to be honest, was saying that day up there, and with no intentions of going up there to sing, no like numb and. We just wanted to go up to see, really, and it was just really more of a courtesy. And just everything that Orn was saying and the way the club was and things like that, we thought, you know what, this is the perfect club for me to come back, not only as a revive my career, but as a stepping stone. And I don't mean that in a selfish way, but a stepping stone back across the water, because obviously that was the overriding, you know, um, ambition at this stage. And I told Orn, you know, when I signed, I says, listen, you know, I'll score you 20 goals a season if I play the majority of the games. And the first season scored 20 and the second season scored 25. And, you know, and then it was off to Inverness and, and just the club itself. Like, listen to me, when I signed back to Korea this time, I think my dad and my brother were more excited than I was because they just love the club. The club's, it's a fantastic club, you know. It's a family club and the fans are, are really good in that sense and everybody looks out for you. And like the chairman's there all the time and, He's chatting to everybody, you know, and, and things like that. And it's just a fantastic club to be at. And um, the success that they're now getting and have had over the last few years is, is just so deserved because I know the work that, you know, that everybody from volunteers to Tommy Dock, who, do, you know, doing the pets and things like that has, has been, you know, years and years of hard work and, and they deserve all the sort of plaudits and, and success they're getting now. And the, the, the idea of travelling, I mean, it's the most Northern Irish question ever, is asking you about travelling to Colerain, which isn't in the grand scheme of things that far. But did the idea of travelling put you off at all? Um, I, I know what you're saying, because I remember we were saying, you know, about oh, travelling an hour, and then my sister lives in London. She's like, you know, people travel like two hours to go to work every yeah. day, no problem. You know, it's nothing. But um, it wasn't a thing at this stage, or it sort of, you know, sort of marketed as there was, you know, there was other people driving up. And there was a couple of other... Belfast boys in my time then, you know, it was likes of Iron Boyd was going up. And uh, Johnny Blackwell, he didn't drive, but he was good, good fun for the car. Um, you know, and a couple of others that we sort of had that we, we were car shared. And listen, during the summer, it's fantastic. But when you get in the nights, you know, coming into Halloween, Christmas, it's not a very nice drive. And it's dark when you're going, it's dark when you come home, the boys are sleeping and stuff in the back, you know. But at the end of the day, it's one of them sort of sacrifices and one of them... And things you have to do, you know, and that's why you're seeing players come up the likes of Korea now because, in the day, it's, it's a fantastic club. And if you wanted the opportunities, and, and, and I felt that was a great opportunity for me in my career that, to, to get back to where I knew it could be. So, you know, the drive up the road was was part of that. And we have a caravan down Benung now. And if, if there's times we're driving up, there's many times we think we've drove up and down this road, you know, but I don't mind it and you get used to it. And it was it was a call around then that the people started to really sit up and take notice again, and that's when you got your move back over to full time football. Um, I read at the time uh, there was other clubs interested. I think Swansea were one of them. They were Premier League. So why why Inverness? 
Well, Swansea were interested and they showed an interest, but they never offered a deal. There was a couple of times, and sometimes you, you get these things that, um, you know, there's interest and things they've got, and then they just don't materialise. And, and, you know, a little rumour goes about, it's maybe more made of it. They, they definitely were interested, but that was it. You know, they, they, that was as far as it went. Um, Kilmarnock, I think Kenny Shields was there at the time, and there was maybe a wee bit of interest, but, and it spoke to obviously Orn, and, he, and then he'd said, listen, he hasn't said anything, he, you know, for a while about it, so you know, it doesn't, you know, I don't know, and wasn't asking to go on, or you know, go and ask him, but that was the sort of bit we're in. And I let my contract run out with Corey and, and made it clear that you know that was what I was hoping that somebody was going to come in for me. And to be honest, it got to probably close to June time, so far almost, and you know, in terms of pre season and, and clubs doing their business, and Inverness, you know, contacted me, and I definitely had to sort of think twice about it because. State, you know, Dougie and Winky would have been boys who would have knew, you know, that you were looking to move and then tried to ring you letting on to be a reporter <laughs> or one of these ones. So I was sitting there going, Yeah, yeah. And it was a guy called Steve Marseille around and he was like the chief scout. Oh yeah, he said no from Watson and he said they've been watching me for over a year. But saw one of the games on Sky that was like a Linfield game, we we won three two and scored um and all those sorts of things and, and they said, Listen. You know, we'll send you out the contract. You have a look at it, and if you're happy with it, you know, sign it, sign it, send it back, and then we'll get you over and we'll get your accommodation sorted and whatever else. And I said, right, okay, yep, no problem. Thinking, right, well, this, is this letter ever going to come? But lo and behold, the next day, there the letter turned up. You know, recorded delivery, and, and the contract was in it, and I signed it, sent it away, and then the next thing was, um, obviously announcing it. And, and funny enough, I, I was going to announce it. I hadn't even told Lauren. I was going to ring Lauren and then I wanted to sort of put it on social media and that, you know, and, and that sort of thing. And then I think within so many, you know, minutes, Sky Sports has put up. Inverness had signed Irish Pair Carousel and Lauren rang me saying, have you signed for Inverness? And I <laughs> says, I'll tell you that I didn't realise that Sky Sports, obviously, you know, and the, the transfers had obviously had been picked in and, and they had it up straight away. So it was out and, and that was it. And, and I went over. So, it was one of them things. I remember I spoke to Terry Bridget on like a family holiday to Tenerife the first week of July. Obviously, the Irish League, you know, I would always been going away, obviously, with teaching and things like that, and boys go away in the summer, and it's it's sort of, you know, that's the way it is. Um, so I'd said to them, listen, you know, can I go in this holiday? You know, I'll train over there and whatever else. And he said, yeah, no problem. You can still go. Just keep yourself right. So I said, no problem. Went away, enjoyed the holiday, came in a week late, and first day in the training, something wrong with my knee, just couldn't, my knee was just something wrong, you know, and I had to pull out, and I thought ever since that first day, they, they sort of questioned what I was doing, maybe on the holiday, you know, and that, I think, didn't help me, I think that started me off on the wrong foot, um, in terms of men's Inverness sort of career, that I'd been away on holiday for a week, and then my first day back training, I'd, I'd had to put out injured, so I didn't really start off on the, on the sort of best path in Inverness. And, I mean, did you struggle to settle? At Inverness, um, was it a case of just struggling to settle and moving away from home and after being for, at home for so long, or was there other sort of mid-season factors? No, I think the injury didn't help. Obviously, it turned out, you know, something the knee. It turned out actually, basically, it, it was my trainers. It was wearing trainers for pre-season. Inverness and the Torsi were very fit team. They did a lot of running, so a lot of boys did in trainers. And I had a wee puppy, and it actually bit the back as a trainers. If you imagine like a cake, if you like poke it, it sort of collapses. So my trainer collapsed on one side, not visibly enough that you would see it, but when I was running there, my knee was sort of moving a bit and it was giving me a bit of baller. But it took us maybe a month or two to, to, to notice what, you know, that really what it was. And after all sorts of different things, 
So then that took me in maybe another month from then to get back up to speed in terms of training and try and get myself in the team. And then once it was sort of in, you know, sort of in consideration again to be playing, we only played one up front, and it was Billy McKay, who was obviously banging in goals at the time. He was getting into the Northern Ireland squads and stuff, and I just didn't have a chance of getting in. Anytime a dead thing that was getting in, you know, I was always left out, or I thought this is a time he's definitely going to give me an opportunity, and he didn't. And I just, I just always thought that he, he held that against me about the knee thing, you know, about coming in injured from from uh, uh, the holiday, and it, that affected me more than anything. I was going to training, and I just didn't want to be there. I was traveling up the training. We used to get a little bus to training from the ground. And I was sitting in the bus sometimes, being I just don't want to be here anymore, and that was then affecting me in training because I wasn't training well because I didn't want to be there. And it turned out in the end, I just went and said, listen. I want to go. I spoke to the, the, the captain, Richie Foran, first. He was, a, he was from Dublin. He was a very, very good captain. Um, looked after the lads massively. And I went and said to him, and he just said, like, think it over, you know, and, and don't go and get released until you know you've got something else sorted. The clans had already been sort of contacting me sort of behind closed doors because they knew I wasn't playing and, and sort of murmurs about not being happy. And I went and said to the chairman, listen, I want to go. I want to go to the, ma- the manager. And they said, listen, Think it over for a couple of days, and then if you still want to go, you know, we'll let you go. And I thought it over and spoke to my dad and family and all that there, and said, "Listen, the Glens are going to offer me deal here. I think you know, if I've had enough, I just don't want to be here anymore." So I came home. I think it actually arrived home the twenty fourth of December. Got the boat home, got all the stuff in, and I remember that that Christmas. It was probably one of the best Christmases I had because I felt the weight that just came off my shoulders, anxiety, stress. You know, not wanting to go to training. I just Knew it was my time was up. I just didn't want to be there anymore. And you know, it was a great Christmas. And, and then I, I went to the uh, the Boxing Day game, the Linfield Gentleman Boxing Day game. And I think ironically, I sat on the wrong side. So I actually sat in the Linfield side up on the boards. People were saying, "I think he signed back for Linfield." But that sat for that side. I didn't know there was a side that they were supposed to sit. Um, and then obviously, then it came out that obviously had signed, you know, for Liverpool. And that's obviously why we're here um, today. Um, I mean, how easy a decision was that to sign for Glentorn? What 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 attract what attracted you to the club? Um, to be honest, I tell this to a lot of players all the time. And when you sign for a club, or when any time I was looking at a club, the big thing for you is: Are you going to play? In the, the day, there's no point being a footballer, and you're not going to do anything in your career if you're sitting on the bench. And you know, there's been times that you know teams have contacted me about signing, and I've said to the manager, "Do you really think I'm going to play every game?" And you'll obviously say, oh, yes, you definitely will, definitely will, and all these things. I'll tell you, I remember something to get you signed. But you'll see players all the time who just, you know, don't play, and it, and it ruins careers or it ruins them. And I felt that the way what the ends were, you know, hobbling a wee bit along, you know, and a wee bit of transition of players and, and different things. And I thought, you know, I'll, I'll play the majority of the games, you know, and, and Eddie obviously at the time was saying, you know, we'll bring you in, and, you know, and you will play majority of the games and I knew it was a massive club and I, I sort of felt you know what this is a big opportunity for me to go to a massive club with a massive fan base and really have a good go at it in the Ice League and, and you know the way I've done before and, and obviously I was confident in my own ability I'd been in the Ice League and scored you know way of nearly 100 goals you know before even signing for the Glens so it was an easy decision really in the end to, to go there and, and, and think this is a massive opportunity to try and take the clans up this, you know, up the league and, and, and try and do something really good in my career. Uh, we didn't really, back then, uh, the clans sort of stopped signing marquee 
players. We, you know, we, yeah. our our financial difficulties were well documented. We were sort of hovering about the, the league table. We weren't really challenging for the title anymore. Did you feel any sort of pressure coming to the Glens, knowing that you would be the main man there and expected to sort of carry the team as such at times? I wouldn't say I expected to carry the team, but yes, I knew I was going to be the main man. And I, But for me, in my career, to me, I thrive on something like that. I wanted that pressure. I like that pressure. Other than, you know, everybody was looking to me to score the goals. Now, listen, it wasn't easy. And there was times I walked off our pits and the fans were booing and stuff. And I took a lot of that onto my shoulders because I felt it was my fault because I didn't score or maybe I haven't performed because I felt that everybody, you know, thought he's the one who has to score the goals. And, and, and that was tough at times. But as I say, at the same time, I thrived on it. And I, I liked that pressure that, you know, people were looking to me to, to drag the team along at times or or do that, you know. And listen, I wasn't the only player there. And there was, there was good players that came and went. But David Scullion, I thought, was one of the most underrated players to be around that time because I thought he'd done really well. And he was just overlooked at times. And even there, he scored the Iron Irish Cup final. And I still think he was overlooked a wee bit. But, you know, as I say, I liked that pressure and... It was ups and downs and things like that. But, you know, I gave up my all sort of, you know, on the pitch and off the pitch and, and tried to do all I could. And I fell in love with the club, you know, and, uh, which, you know, people say, oh, did you support the Glens? Did you support Linfield and Groton? Didn't really have a real interest in Irish League football going up, you know. And, you know, I did, didn't. My mum worked at, you know, Mercy Street there, which is obviously close by. And But, you know, I fell in love with the club and I fell in love with the players and, you know, a great relationship with the pretty much majority of the managers were there and, um, you know, a lot of my time there. Let's talk about your debut because that was uh, something special. That game that was it's one one of my uh, favorite memories in recent times, and it was only the fifth round, I think. And it was uh, just what a game, brilliant. It was and, and the week before Eddie had tried to get me to play. Can't remember was it a league game or whatever it was, or and I'd hurt my back where I'd been struggling. Honestly. I hadn't been training to, or I'd been training, but I hadn't been playing. And I said, listen, I just don't feel like I'm right. My back's a wee bit sore not right and I, I, I sort of was adamant that I wasn't playing that game but I said I'd be ready for the Irish Cup and obviously we've been imported down there was an added sort of spice and yeah, listen I couldn't have went any better albeit I missed a penalty um, yeah. but missed a penalty and then obviously to score the goal which sort of you know gave the first one which was obviously because I missed a penalty and then the one that we broke away and the fans coming on and that for me it brought a ring rushing back of why you love football. And I had sort of six months at Inverness where again, fell out of love a wee bit of football, you know, had worked hard and, you know, sort of been slapped in the face a couple of times in ter- terms of opportunities. And then you get back in, in the massive crowd atmosphere, you know, score and then score obviously later on and the crowd comes on and it, it just, it makes you feel this is all worthwhile. And, and it just made me immediately say like, this is the right move. I've made the right move, even just within that one game. It wasn't always, um, like that, at the, at the Oval, it's safe to say. Um, there were some really tough times during your spell, and indeed over the last decade. Um, I mean, there was talk, I think I've heard you speak before, there was a summer where we were trained without nets, which is obviously, as a striker, your absolute worst nightmare. I mean, how's it, how was it, is it easy to stay motivated in that time? Were you sort of looking at it going, like, what am I doing here? Probably at times, yeah. I'm, I'm sure I probably wasn't the only one. You know, you have a train one time with no nets all pre-season. We turned up to the ground one time, the floodlights wouldn't work, so we trained on basically under one light down in the corner of the pitch. Um, you know, we trained one time, the guy came out and I said, We're going to the toilet. And he says, I can't open the toilet's freezer because you don't, you aren't supposed to be training here, you're not booked in. You know, we just turned up to the pitch. It was, you know, and 
it was a calamity of things, and that was nothing to do with the managers at the time. Some a lot of the things was out of their hands. Um, but yes, it, it was. I don't want to say it was a circus at times, but it was, you know, and, and for the players, I suppose it was. It wasn't anything to do with the players. Our job was to train and do what we could on the pitch. But at the same time, you know, I think as a whole, everything has to be right, you know, to, to, to get the club to move on. And, and obviously it was a financial thing. The club just didn't have money to, to do anything. They didn't have money to book out training pitches and, and, and facilities and things like that. And from my point of view, I was you know, very quickly supported coming a senior member of the squad and I tried to speak to the players a lot about it and um, speak to managers and, and try and vent, you know, players maybe frustrations and trying to get things ironed out and, and explain to players this is where we're at, you know, but don't worry about these sides of you know that side of the things, you know, let's just try and do what we can on the pitch. And I would say that's probably why, you know, sometimes we were brilliant and sometimes we were awful, because it was just that sort of way of sometimes things were great at the you know the oval and we had everything going rightly and then all of a sudden we would turn up the train and the gates were locked you know and things like that you know and it was a roller coaster to ride but it is what it is and, and as players you just have to get on with it and keep trying to progress and keep trying to do what you, you do and many players came and went in the time but um, you know look with the clients you know are obviously moving in the right direction now and, and, and I think you know it's great to the league that and I think the financials you know sort of um, bits that came in obviously you know really obviously helped um, it was a bit of a managerial merry-go-round during your time at the Oval. Um, you had multiple managers. Like, how was that to deal with? And was there any sort of standout managers for you? Anyone you really enjoyed playing under? I think six managers in five years, which is, is madness. Um, listen, they all brought different things to the to the team. I always thought, you know, I thought Gary Havenin, to be honest, that man put his life in the Glen Torn, and I felt it sort of the results didn't go his way and he probably was too nice in the end and that was the problem like in terms of fans things and things like that he was, he was at every one of them talking to fans you know and, and, and being as nice as he could and he was trying his best like he had arranged for ironically we wanted to go to train Lauren couldn't get anywhere else to train he went and sorted it out and got us the cliff and you know said you know apologise to the lads it's not acceptable and, and he did everything he could in his ability you know and what he had financial wise to try and do his best you know and I thought the way he was sort of um, you know, sort of, well, he was sacked, obviously, you know, and put out of the club and, and things that, you know, people said was, was, was disappointing because he's, he's a lovely fella and he just loves football and, and he did give us it all. Eddie, obviously, you know, from what he did, you know, he brought me to the club and um, moaned a lot at times. Like, Eddie was one of these guys who you'd think you played bad and he'd come in and thought he was, you know, patting the back and it was all right. And then he'd win 3 0 and he'd come out, and, come out and, you know, start shouting at everybody and everybody's, going, you know, wing and that was just the way he was. And, he was among at times, but you know we didn't mind it. And listen, they all brought different things to you know the, the team and, and different training regimes and, and all this sorts of things. But I think the problem was we couldn't get players to sign. That was the be on end all. We, we just couldn't, and it got to the stage where we were just trying to sign players that nobody else really wanted. And that's no disrespect to anybody who signed, but it was sort of you know we were taking pickings off the big boys really. Um, you know, I was trying to get players to sign and, and you know, and, and speaking to players that I thought maybe had a chance, and, you know, trying to say, listen, you know, if we can get one or two players in, you know, we've got an opportunity that we could, you know, really lift this, this team out and, you know, saying how about the big fan base and all this here. But again, you know, when it came down to finances and, and, and things like that, then it was out of my hands. It was not to do me. I could only sort of market the club as much as I could. And, you know, I think I was on the Cool FM show one stage and I tried to, 
savoury young players that Glen Torm is a club to come because you get opportunities to play and things like that. And I was, I was trying everything to, to get it because I knew, you know, with a couple of players, we could have, you know, pushed on and, and tried to do something, but it just didn't happen. The finance was a massive thing that we needed, you know, um, just to get the club back going and get the interest and be able to sign players. Now, the finances there now is probably way beyond anybody's belief that they finance it. Maybe we would have thought, thought they would get, but, you know, it's a fantastic team, you know, fantastic team and fantastic squad that they, they've, they've got now. And it's, it's certainly a long, long way from the, you know, the squad and, and the sort of Glenthorne life that, you know, I knew when I was there. Um, I mean, Eddie Patterson, he done a great job with one hand high, high behind his back, um, you know, two Irish Cups and getting us into Europe. And um, and yeah, you're not the first player to mention about Gary Haven. Uh, I remember speaking to um, Callum Burney, it was, and it was just after a game we played. It was New Year's Eve, actually. Or it was play, we were playing a, we played a game, I think it was, and he was talking about how there's a lot of fan unrest about Gary Haven. Um, and he, he got a rough time from the fans as such. So I did feel sorry for him because he was a nice fella. And as you said, he was in the Premier Lounge, win, lose or draw. After every game, he was in there talking to fans. And I, I feel sorry for a few of the Glenthorne managers and the players. Guy Smith and, you know, and Lee Byrne things came in and, and tried to do things. And listen, sometimes the fans don't understand, you know, don't see what goes on at the training pitch or behind closed doors and things. They only maybe see what happens on a Saturday. And, um, Listen, nobody comes into the club to do, you know, bad or, or lose games or anything, and everybody tries their best. And yes, I know football at the top of the game happens the same way, but you know, I just think that some of the people come in and, and, and just have that way, and you can tell they really do care and really want to do well. And, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work out. And, and that was the sort of case with Gary Havenham, you know. Um, uh, Eddie Patterson, obviously, the highlight probably of your time under him was the 2015 Irish Cup final when uh, Michael Galt unfortunately slipped up the other end of the pitch. Yeah. And then, but the um, what was that like? What was that cup final like? It was, it was absolutely. I was stood in the Sydney Terrace, um, absolutely drenched to the bone. Went to the charity shop and bought an umbrella. I was standing on the terrace with like a big umbrella that said Canada on it. Yeah, it was, it was strange because no Irish Cup final is always sunny, it's notoriously always sunny. Obviously, the match being at the Oval was strange, and um, we were in the away change room, and, and funny enough. I'd actually said to the, I'd said the, you know, the time that basically we had been drawn in the away change room and that happened one time when I was at Linfield and Crusaders were in the final and they, they'd drawn the home change room Crusaders and Linfield just changed the uh, the signs on the door. So Crusaders turned up on the Irish Cup final day. The home change room was now the away change room and the away change room was now the home change room. And what do you do when you turn up on the Irish Cup day? Do you start a whole, kick off a whole thing, you know, two hours before kickoff? Or do you try and use that? But Linfield were just saying, they're not using our home change rooms. They changed the sign. So I'd said to, um, you know, I'd said, like, you know, if we don't want to give our change room up here, you know, do you think we could do this? You know, Linfield done before and they got away with it. But no, they said, no, happy enough to go into the way change room. So that was another thing. It was different for us. You know, it was at our home pits, but we weren't in the same change room. And obviously the weather was just horrific. It, was, it wasn't a good game. The weather ruined the game. Um. Obviously, we still keep Willie Garrett going about his back pass. That's typical Willie. And obviously, Goldie, you know, who would be friendly with and, and, and still, you know, chat about it and things like that. But it was just me and Force, you know, and the goal that was scored, Scully, it was a fantastic finish. And, you know, we went on to win it. And that was massive. And to be honest, I think, you know, it, it was perfect. The financial aspect of it was, was probably just exactly what the club needed at that stage, just to keep us going, never mind sort of progress and try and. You know, use the money. It was just brilliant. That's going to be in our couple of years, sort of, sort of where we're okay. 
did you give? Well, so obviously you got the work under Ronnie McFall then. Um, did you get any stick about the Irish Cup final 2015 as post-match interviews or Willie Gart? You probably, you probably did. Ronnie was just so old school. Like you don't know how to take him, how to take him sometimes. In the way he was being serious, or he'd come in and say things, and then he would just have that real serious face, and then you'd sort of be looking at him, and he would start laughing. And you know, he was that type of guy, and um, like even under him, we went through a whole pre-season and. We trained up at what was it called? Um, just off the shot, off shot branch, Barnett's Park. Oh yeah. And every, I think it was every like Thursday, we trained there the whole preseason. And then it came out the only reason we were training there and doing running because we had no training pit, <laughs> no training pit. So we were just going there to run. So that was like another thing, you know, that they came and it wasn't just one manager. You, know, every manager had things to deal with at the club. And like this, as I say, Ronnie was so experienced, and he came in and. Um, completely different manager in terms of especially for the young lads of that old school you know where the likes of Gary Hayden would have been really open and up front and quite you know arm around the shoulder rather Ronnie was sticking a boot in you sort of thing you know in Hammer Boys but you know he came in and, and sort of revived us when we needed to be revived really and um, I think he was only really there a short time you know at that stage and you know he did exactly what the Glens hoped he would do and as I say, you know, with some, with some funny times with him and stuff, but again, he wasn't there that long. Uh, what was Eddie Patterson's dismissal a shock? Because I think that came after um, a game against Carrick, and we didn't lose the game. Yeah, was a home game. It was, uh, it was a home game, wasn't it? Um, I think it probably did because I don't think, you know, we probably lost, we must have been doing, you know, not particularly well, but I don't think you know, there's rumours, and only hear rumours that, oh, they're going to be sacked or whatever. Um, so I remember, I think it was, I think I was actually driving home in the car. And listen to the, the of the radio Ulster with the talking on the all the sort of match things and it came out, you know, he'd been sacked or whatever, and it's a strange one, I suppose, like, you know, but maybe they you know they obviously thought at the time it was the right thing to do. I think at Eddie at the time, after the 2015 Irish Cup final, he came out and he did an interview. Um and in the interview he, he made a bit of a, a joke with a jag about only being given 20 quid of the European money for his budget next season. I think that sort of made it odd for his back then after that. Well, that's it. Uh, you know, I know he had sort of disagreements and, and, and didn't maybe get on with, with other people within the club. And I suppose that's part and parcel of the game. But um, yeah, well, that was it. You know, you need to reinvest in, in, the, in the players if you want the team to do well. And, you know, if the club weren't, you know, I don't know if that's true or not, but, you know, if the club weren't prepared to do that, then, you know, how, you, how what do you do? And so recently then, you've been um, inducted into the Glentorn Legends on the pitch against Ballymena. Um so an accolade that you're more than deserving of. Um, how did that feel? What was that like? It's fantastic. And, you know, as I said online, you know, I said, like, I don't know where I'm quite deserving on it, but, you know, it's a massive honour. And, listen, it felt great to, to, uh, to go back out in front of the fans. And, and, and that's sort of because, although I did, I was, I was always really pleased that it got out, although I was injured, and I came home out of the time against Glenavon and got a really lovely round of applause because, you know... Not that I knew I was leaving at that stage, but certainly the writing wasn't far off on the wall, you know, in terms of what the chats that I was having with Mick and, and the way things were going. And um, it was really nice to have that sort of applause come on against Glenavon. And then obviously they come back and, and, and be inducted into the legends. Is, it's, it's fantastic, you know, and it's something that, you know, I can show my son that, you know, growing up and tell my son and, and, and things like that. And it was a massive honour. And, Listen, as I say, you know, I give everything I could to the club and, you know, I fell in love with the club and um, it was brilliant to, 
to get out and, and, and obviously stand beside some massive legends of the club and, and, and you know, get chatting to fans and, and things like that again. Well, I can say definitely um, that you were more than deserving. 110 goals in any era is incredible, but I mean, 110 goals in such a struggling team. I don't think we finished above sixth in your entire time at the club. Um, it is remarkable. And it must have been difficult at times looking. Were you ever tempted to, to move on? No, not not in, our, in terms of Irish League football. Like, and listen, I've planned to, you know, anytime. I think I signed a two and a half year deal the first time, then I signed a three year, I think, maybe the second time. And that landed obviously the end of the second half. Like, I was in sort of real peak of my career. I was scoring loads of goals and I had offers elsewhere. And um, never at any stage did I, did I think about leaving. No, just obviously with the managerial things and, and, and like, weren't, weren't ideal. And, I think when I sat down, I don't even know who, who the manager was when I re-signed. I know Roy Coyle was in it, and I'm not sure who it was, who was the manager at the time anyway, but, you know, it was just a matter of, you know, going in and saying, you know, what was the sort of thoughts? You know, were, you know are we going to try and send new players, or, or what's the sort of ideas here? And, listen, you know, obviously, the fans, you know, really sort of adopted me, and, and you know, and it's been scoring lots of goals and things like that. And as I say, I sort of I was the main man and I knew I was the main man and I thrived on that pressure and and to me why would I leave you know I liked having that pressure on me and I just felt that listen I can still score goals and I always had that ambition that we were going to push on you know and, and, and really push up the league and um, you know I did all I could to try and try and help that and obviously in the, the sort of next couple of years we didn't really progress the way I'd sort of hoped and, and, and you know that was just the way it is and then obviously the, the finance and stuff came in and, and obviously the full-time football and that sort of, um, you know, signaled the end to it for me because from my point of view, you know, I was hoping and that the sort of talk was, you know, sort of that I was going to move, you know, play the rest of my playing days and then move into, you know, possible coaching role within the, the first team and which was, to me, it was an absolute dream come true. Um, but obviously then the full-time aspect was coming in and, and I can't do, you know, I couldn't do that with, my, you know, teaching and things like that. So it wasn't to be, but... No, and the, the, the what five and a half years was there. Five years, I was there. I, I was never, never tempted to leave. No, I was. I fell in love with the club, as I say, and you know, listen, it was a roller coaster, but I loved it. Um, when the news started circling about the takeover, what were the feelings amongst the players? Like, I mean, the club that you entered to the club that you left was so different. Well, that's it. You know, and it was, and I was, and it changed for the better. And I suppose when I signed. I always said that, you know, I'd hope that, you know, when I did leave the club or I did finish, it was going to be in a better situation than it was, than when I signed, and it was. Not that I had much to say about the money and, and things like that, but when it first happened, and obviously there was rumours and things like that, and players don't know, and there's jokes about, you know, whatever, and I don't even think at that stage you probably would have guessed of how many players they would have the club would have signed, you know, calibre of players. I don't think anybody would have thought that. Obviously, we thought, yes, training is going to be better and they'll maybe update things and whatever else. Um, you know, and when they change the change rooms and stuff, that, that to me, like the Koreans just did it too. You know, we've, we've they've updated the change rooms. And I said they all about, you know, how good they look. And it gives a professional feel about the club. You know, and when, just, when you walk in the change room and the, the change rooms are professional and they look good and you have lockers and things like that, you know, you feel professional and that makes you want to be more professional off the pitch or whatever. And... Just even that, you could tell everybody was loving it. And, you know, there's obviously murmurs then of saying all sorts of players and, and things like that. And, um, you know, it was, only great, it was only great for the club. And, um, you know, obviously, it was, it was one of them things that was sort of short-lived for me. And, um, 
spoke to the obviously the, the owner uh, that, that came in and, and you know did a wee thing in front of the team, you know, on behalf of the team, saying you know, well, welcome, we were over the moon that he was here and and, and things like this, and I hope he was going to spend lots of money and these sorts of things. And at that stage, you know, I, I was still assuming I was going to be there, um, you know, for another couple of years, and obviously it just wasn't to be, you know. So it was, unfortunately, you were injured for most of that time under the regime, um, and I do remember your comeback game, like it was against Glen Avon, as clear as day, yeah, um. It gave everyone a real lift, a real buzz that you were coming back into the team. I don't think anyone expected that you were going to be leaving the club. And I do have to say, um, you know, I, I back the club a lot in a lot of the decisions they make through the years. I always do think it's in, in the best interest of the, of the club. At the time, I was extremely disappointed and I would still be disappointed now. I think that they were letting you they let you go to, we were at a bit of a surge at the time, um, heading towards the title. They let you go to a title rival. And then also on top of that, I just think that they're that you were better than some of the players at, at the club. You're a better option. Like even if they weren't planning on starting every week, if they were planning to go with the one up front and the two wide men and they're playing Robbie down the middle, I mean bringing you off the bench with your experience, with your how you, you knew the club, I just thought that you would have been a much better option. And I, I, I do think that that still would be the case now. Listen, it came about, it was a strange one. Obviously, I'd been injured. As I say, that injury came about from overtraining. We were training, training five times a week at that stage. And, um, you know, for me, I always had this sort of thought that people would start to say about age. And it sort of still irritates me a wee bit when people say about, you know, oh, your age and this here. And I look at, you know, players like Andy Waterworth here, older me, and, you know, and things like that, still doing pretty well. So to me, I never wanted a young lad to beat me in the running. So I was always trying to be, you know, the sort of most, you know, with the head in the run and things like that. And that was probably my demise because obviously then I got injured pretty much early in the season, McGroin went and really struggled to get back at two quarters of Jackson's and just just couldn't. One of the times it came back and fought, felt great and then it went again. And my contract was obviously running out you know, at the end of the season, but you know, from what I gathered, Mick and, and Wendy were saying all the right things, you know, we wanted to be the club and, and, and all those sorts of things. And um, they kept saying you were going to offer you a deal, but never actually did offer me a deal. Um, at this stage, Balmina contacted the club, put a letter in because it was in the last six months of my deal, um, and said, like, listen, you know, speak to him, you know, and that sort of thing. And I went and said, listen, you know, if he's not going to offer me a deal, you keep saying you are, you know, I'm going to go speak to Balmina because I need to look for like, for my own interest too, which I did. And I was I was open and upfront to Mick and Wendy and said, listen, I'll go, I'm going to go speak to him. And I went and spoke to him and all that. Um, and I was injured, and I was always ready for next, you know, the next season if nothing came. And I still thought that, you know, the Glens were going to offer me something. It was never so anything else. Um, I wasn't even thinking about, you know, how much I was going to play or whatever. I had so much confidence in my ability. It was, you know, thinking brilliant. All these players are going to be signing, and you know, Robbie's doing rightly, and, and things. And I knew, yes, maybe I wouldn't play as many games, you know, as I normally would. But you know, I was happy enough for that because of the sort of way we were going. But, um. Like Owen literally contacted me on the last day of the transfer window. It was pretty late on, it was maybe five o'clock, six o'clock. Said to me, What do you think? And at that stage, he says, like, we're going for a travel here. We've a League Cup final. We're well in this league and we're in the obviously the uh, Irish Cup. Um semi, I think it was the semi-final, the quarter final, whatever it went. And I said to Owen, listen, I'm not fit at all. Nowhere near fit. I know it came on against Glenavon, but like like coming on there I was probably like 60% fit if even and he said listen we totally understand it would literally only be 15-20 minutes at the end of games bring on your experience you know when you could score a goal a massive goal for us or win fouls and things like that and he says well I'll put it out to the fans 
that you're not fully fit, you know, and this is the way it is. And I said, listen, I'm not sure. And he said, listen, have a couple of hours, you know, to think about it and then sure I'll ring you. And I, I pretty much said no, because I didn't want to go where and people think, oh, he's dumb, because I knew it wasn't fit and knew it just wasn't at it. And then I was sitting and I knew the way things had been going with the Glens. And listen, I'm not going to sit here and have, say I had the best relationship with Mick would, would sort of, had a couple of disagreements about the change of training time and I was struggling to get there from school and things like that and a couple of disagreements. Uh, you know, and I, I just sort of knew the way they were sending me the contract and things and I just wasn't overly happy. And I sort of, as I say, felt that, you know, maybe it was sort of, you know, tailing towards the end because of that. Um, so then I just thought, you know what, Coleraine would have been another club, as I say, that I really enjoyed my time at. You know, in terms of the fans and the really good relationship with Orn, really good relationship with the chairman. And I thought maybe this is just the right time to, to move on, you know, and, and, and try something new in terms of injury and, and whatever else. Because I knew the games were going to go full time as well, which wasn't going to be obviously ideal. So went back and said, like, listen, well, they weren't obviously right me. And I said, yeah, let's do it. So they'd obviously contacted the Glens. And like, I think... I think the loan, it went obviously then a loan deal because the Glens didn't want me to play against them, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and then obviously there was a two-year pre-contract within that. I think I signed it at 11 o'clock at night. I was at the Oval to get that sorted. Yeah. At one stage, we were going to have to do a mad dash up to Korean. You know, it was like something to see on Sky Sports, you know, the last-minute deals. And and then the next thing, obviously, you know, it was announced and it came out of nowhere. And it really did come out of nowhere, you know, even for me, at, until 6 o'clock that night, I was winning. I was a one million percent staying at Glen Torn at least to the end of the season, you know. And I was I was hopeful that I was going to play some games, come back and you know and, and score a few goals, and then we were going to sort of iron out the whole contract sort of thing, you know. The Glens obviously it just hadn't offered anything concrete. They just said, yeah, we're going to offer something, but they, they just hadn't. And next thing I knew, then I was signed, you know. First game was obviously a league cup final. Yeah, it was a bit, bit of a mad January transfer window last day. That was two two years in the bounce because our, I think we got um, Andy Mitchell and Roy Donnelly on that day. And then this yeah. year was Conor McMenamin with Paul O'Neill going the other way. And it was just all... Yeah, enough, yeah. The Irish League's just going mad. And uh, But as you say, it wasn't a bad start. Your Korean second spell, Korean uh, Cup final. No, and I came on, I'm telling you, I came on, as I say, it was probably 50% fit. How I got through the last 20 minutes and won a couple of fouls and done right. I think just the... The adrenaline got me through it, you know, because I wasn't fit and I probably wasn't even fully over the injury, you know, in, in terms of that. But managed to get through and came on bits and pieces and then sort of COVID hit. Um, the big, I think the most disappointing thing was the whole sort of Irish Cup sort of um, issue of when the clans basically stood them away and, and didn't allow me to play because I was obviously I was, the loan deal had ended. But there was a thing in the, within FIFA then, if that happened, that you could extend a loan deal for another month or whatever. You know, they extended the season. Um, and the idea was then they extended it. And, and Corian did it for Alex Gone, I think, and, and, and somebody else who was on loan. And I know a couple of other teams that did it. And they did it in the Premier League and things, you know, and the teams had loaned. And Orrin pulled me one night of training and says, listen, are you able to contact the clients because we put this thing about the loan in for them and we've contacted them for three weeks now and they're not coming back this. So then I went and I rang Mick and I just, to be honest, I was less speechless. He just said, listen, we're not, we're not, we're not loaning it. We're not doing it. Um, basically the reason was, he, the words he said was that obviously there's a lot going on between Corey and Linf- or Corey and Linfield and Glenn Torn about how the league was going to be, you know, all this sort of stuff and money and all. 
and there was a bit of arguing going on and he just said that Glentorn Football Club will not be doing anything that will benefit Coleraine Football Club so we're not doing it and I says well you're not it's not them you're, you're sort of affected it's me you know and he said well that's not how I see it and we'll not be doing it so that was it I just left it and I just said listen if that's the way you want to be then so be it you know you you know I certainly wouldn't do that as, as a person but if that's the way you want to be got off phone to him I spoke to the chairman the chairman said it was out of his hands and that was it you know and we kept thinking maybe maybe they'll, you know, they'll sort of say you know what maybe this isn't the right thing to do um, and they didn't and I suppose when you look at it in the grand scheme of things now we went and played Balamina missed an absolute bucket full of chances you know and in hindsight I would have been playing would I have scored one of them chances well I certainly would have backed myself to score them chances we would have got to the final I wouldn't have been allowed to play in the final if the Glens if it was a Glen torn Korean final that was never in doubt I would have never been able to play I think a lot of the fans, I think I actually put it out on Twitter one time because um, people were saying about, you know, I'd said obviously how disappointed it was and, and things like that. And they were saying, like, why would the Glens you know, allow them to play against us and us here? But and I put it out saying, like, I, there was never any sort of doubt that I would be playing against the Glens. It was never going to happen. I wasn't allowed to. It was purely for the semi-final. And if the two clubs met in the final, I would sit out, which I would have done then in the final. Um, but so very obviously, in Balmain, a bit of penalties, it went through and, and Glen Torn in my eyes, they they hoped that would happen because then they probably would have preferred to play Balamina than Kobe in the final, and they did, and obviously hadn't won it. So, well, that's exactly it. That's, that's exactly what I thought it was. Are you saying now about it being the argument between Mick and, and I mean it was quite volatile at the time. I remember there's a lot of back and forth between the three clubs and the curtailment of the yeah. season. But oh, I did I think that didn't help it. You know, I thought at the time it was because the Glens didn't fancy playing Kobe in the final. Thought the fancy probably, probably part of it too, you know. They probably looked at it and gone, Well, yeah, you know, and it's happened to the Glens before. I think was it Chris Morgan or, or somebody went on loan or signed for something. Ro- Rory on. Hamill. Rory Hamill went Rory on loan to Donegal Celtic and then scored two and put us out. You know, and, and I know people had sort of murmured that and it would have been Irish football and you know saw it all that let's be honest, but it went to the final, somehow I would have scored, you know, and there would have been some big thing, and that's just the way football goes, and, and obviously that's where they blocked it. And listen. If I was a manager and, a, and, a, and a, if I am ever a manager, but ever you know, in a put in that position, I, w- I, w- I wouldn't do it myself. But you know, everybody's different. And that, that does bring me on to the next question: Do you have your coaching badges, or are you in the process of doing them? Or yeah, well, I, I have, well, I have my B license now. I haven't done. You have to do obviously the CP uh, D points, for, and I haven't done that for a while. So I probably need to do a few refresher things just to get the points up. Um, but for me, that's definitely you know an ambition you know of mine to. Look, I've been doing a bit of the radio and stuff, and I really enjoy that too. And in terms of my career, we'll see how this season goes off the injury. And you know, if I can have a really good last six months, you know, and, and Cody and offer me a new deal or whatever, you know, I definitely want to stay and do maybe an hour year or so or an hour two years. So we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But you know, in terms of when my when plan stops, I'd love to be able to go into like the coaching role within you know one of the Premier League clubs, you know, as a strikers coach or whatever. And, and do that or you know the radio obviously you know with my teaching background and and things like that and my undergrad degree is actually in sports coaching and teaching so you know if plenty there you know aside from the experience you know of my own playing days and things like that that i feel you could you know could go in and, and help you know not just young players you strikers or whatever but you know ones that are there too and try and give a wee bit of knowledge and, and things like that so we can you know give something back to the game because that's obviously been brilliant to me and you're still playing now, obviously, and you're feeling good. So don't suppose. I think I think they say you're a long time retired, and it would be a shame to see you sort of 
expired at the end of the season if the you know a contract wasn't on the table from calling in? Do you just pl- plan on playing for as long as possible? Or do you think it comes down to that? We'll see what happens. It's at one stage last year, I wasn't probably in a great place in terms of fitness and obviously not really playing too much. And um then I got back, you know, obviously the sort of tail end of last season, really playing well again, feeling great, had a great pre-season, and my mentality was fantastic coming into this season, felt really, really good. And to be honest, that's probably helped massively in terms of my injury now because I know I've got I can get back to that level again and get back to the old sort of goal scorer, you know, and, and that's what's feeding me and what's driving me at the minute that you know what? Say I don't get back to Christmas or just before that, I've still six months, I've still half a season, you know. And I'm already going, many goals could I score in a half season, you know, and that's the mentality I have at the minute. And and who knows, if I have a good season, you know, you know I don't know, we'll, we'll wait and see what happens. And um, as I say, I'd love to stay at Korean for an hour or two because I feel like I've still so much to give to them and I've had such a start-stop sort of, you know, career back at Korean. But we'll see what happens. Um, you know, I don't know, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when it comes to it. A general question I've got for you here before we move on to some fan questions we've got. Um, so summer football, that's something that has been on the horizon, a lot of chat about it. Um, I think it's inevitable, it'll probably happen soon. I wouldn't have been in favour a few years ago, but now I am in favour um, for a range of different reasons. Now, you're obviously a teacher, so yeah. it probably would impact you and players like yourself more than others. Where do you sit on it? If it's going to improve the game, then you have to do it. Um I suppose a lot of the things with summer football is because of the weather, but a lot of teams are going 4G now, which wouldn't really affect that per se. Now, you know, you can't really play on if it snows or whatever, but, you know, how many times realistically does it snow over here now? It's not, you know, as, as common as what you think. And listen, if it's going to benefit and it's going to get more crowds through, then yes, but I think the team's going full time and, and the marketing and the TV deals. Are, are pushing our game in the right direction already, never mind. You know, summer football, as I say, think of many players that maybe wouldn't, probably wouldn't help. I suppose if you're full-time, the likes of the club's going full-time, it doesn't really matter, but um, it's hard to know. It's hard to know whether it'll happen or not, but just with the full-time aspects that are happening now and, and the, as I say, the 4G pitches and things like that. And Listen, it'll not happen in my playing day, so that doesn't worry me too much. <laughs> I mean, that, that, I think that if it does go to happen, they need to do a full consultation. It doesn't just have to be men in suits in a boardroom making the decision. I think they need to consult with the players, the staff, the fans. And Trust me, the, player, the players know not. Like The players are never consulted on anything within that league. I'm telling you now, nothing that happens in that league, the players are consulted. Nothing. The players don't know. The players find out newspapers, social media, same time as anybody else does. And that's honestly the truth. I do think it's important for there to be some sort of Northern Irish PFA, and especially now with this being that this this is, you know, every job has the ability to have a union, but yet we have um, now what three or four full time clubs, and there's no official body representing yeah. players over here. I know there was a there was a clatter of players: Barry Johnson, Michael Carville, a couple of others. I tried to do it over the last couple of years, um, tried to start something up, but you need to have a lot of funding and things like that, and it's a massive setup to get one of things going, and. Um, You've got to get the players to buy into it because they obviously pay, you know, a subscription or membership thing. You know, albeit it wouldn't be too dear, but I totally, no, I totally agree. You know, I've seen some things in my career where clubs have just, you know, dumped boys out or find them, you know, two weeks wages or whatever for things you're going well. Don't know, you know, and what do you do? You argue with the club. You're, you're sort of stuck there, and you know, to, to argue yourself. Agents aren't really a big thing over here. 
Um, so yes, I totally agree. You, you know, a union or something that or PFA would be fantastic, but it's just difficult because like even the Scottish one when I was over there, um, there was a thing where a player had signed and then it turned out he was injured and they, there was a whole big thing when Bernays and the, the PFA had sort of spoke to a lot of players and they, did, they didn't have anyone near the funding what in terms of the English side had, you know, and the professionalism of it. And you think we would be down a scale again from that. So yes, I totally agree. I think it would be a great thing, but it's a funding side of it. You need to fund and club. Do the clubs really want it? It's a player thing. Do the clubs really want it? Yeah, Probably. That's true. You know? <laughs> so um, on to some fan questions. I put out uh, tweets and Facebook messages um, asking for some fan questions and the majority of them were just mental. Um, yeah. <laughs> so um, I've got some here. One from Daniel Graham. He says, what's your favourite Glenn's goal? Um, I suppose probably... I've got to pick a few here, like I don't know. Like I also <laughs> love the Portland ones, which are great, which was obviously my like debut. The semi-final goal was massive for me, you know, in terms of everybody had written us off against the crews. I remember when we, we got the crews in the semi-final, driving back and Liam back and said on the radio, it basically made it out it was a formality that the Crusaders were in the final. And I remember thinking, you know, right, okay, is that is that sort of how it is? And then obviously for me to, to go and score the winner and, and put us in was a massive thing too. And um, other than that, one of the goals I really enjoyed was um, Europa League, you know, final, uh, playoff final, at Solitude, a free kick. Yeah. And I just I remember Chris Lavi came over and but actually worked out a wee free kick routine and he said, do you want to do the routine? And I said, no, I'm just going to hit it. And I don't even know why. Like, I didn't even hit the free kick anywhere near what I would normally try and put them around the wall. I just went up and absolutely whacked it and it just went into like an absolute rocket. And I remember even thinking after, like, I can't believe I just scored it. Sort of thing. So... <laughs> You know, I, just, I suppose I'd have to think that that one would probably stick out in my mind most of that one where I just sort of was like, oh my word, what a goal. Yeah, there's some big ones. There's one in the, um, against the Blues on Boxing Day and I think you were on like an, like a bit of a goal right then too. Yeah, um, I think about a month or so like scoring then. And then you scored that game and we ended up winning that, which yeah, Boxing Day wins. It was a free kick and I think somebody flicked it to the back and I was there, it sort of got past Martin. Just I said it in for about two or three yards, big one thousand yeah. there. I think even I remember the highlight of the photos, you could see that sort of release, you know, of like you went mental. Scored, <laughs> yeah. You put yourself under pressure, you know. If we were three 0 and score, I'm coming in disappointed, and that's the pressure the strikers put on themselves. So if you do have a couple of you know weeks or, or whatever or a month that you don't score, the, the pressure piles on, you know, and I mean you do get it again, it's a it's a massive relief, you know. The the Crusaders game was one of the probably the most enjoyable and, and unenjoyable games in my time following the Glens boss you were there um, it was just nerve wracking at the end and it was yeah. crazy I lost I, I was on the I was on the nope. pitch at the end lost my bank card and all that's oh, no, <laughs> every morning with pissing up was massive because obviously we were massive underdogs to win and I have to say like the likes of Team Lee Lynch Seamus and, 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 you know, and the rest of the boys that were there that, that got the tactics spot on that day that's one thing I must say that the tactics we had for the playing there against Cruz was, was absolutely spot on Frustrated them all day. They were really annoyed. Yeah. You could tell. Uh, the next one's from David Kerr, and he says, "Talk to us about the arms out celebration. Iconic." It, it has been a bit iconic, and that's it. My son was doing it. Trust me, that's what it is. And I'm still saying the kids <laughs> not doing Curtis alone. Do what it came about when I was in Bournemouth, and it sort of started off with it was the hands out, and it sort of did this, and I was thinking it was basically Ronaldinho or somebody did something like in one of the Champions League matches. And then we were playing the FA Youth Cup the week later, or a couple of days later. And I think he had like, the arms out. And it was something to do with us here or something. I don't know. It was like something anyway with his hands. It was more so. 
And I did, somebody said, well, if you score, do that for a laugh. So then I did score and I did that for a laugh and it sort of went from there where I lost the stupid sort of moving your hands thing and just and just stayed with the, the sort of airplane hands out. And I always wanted to have a celebration that I just did every time. I always liked that, you know, like Alan Shearer and different players had that. And, you know, I, that's why I decided then I, I stuck with that and, and I just did it from, and that, that was from when I was, what, 16 and I just kept that celebration the whole way through. Hopefully, um, hopefully, yes, hopefully, yes, you will see it a couple more times. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Andrew Vay says, um, what was your favourite game at the Glens? Favourite game? Um, well, obviously, when the Irish Cup was, was massive, you know, even though it wasn't probably the most enjoyable game, it was, you know, a massive sort of release in terms of winning something and, and things like that. And obviously, as I said, the other stuff in the Irish Cups. Um, Boxing Day games are always massive, you know, you want to score them games, you want to win them games, and, and they were always massive. It makes your Boxing Day, makes your Christmas, and, you know, I suppose maybe the, that one maybe that had scored, um, you know, that they scored the two actually against them, feeling my one that, you know, that was probably one of the games that would stick out in my mind. It was fantastic. It was really, really, you know, the crowd and all that, and, and just Christmas and all, I would love Christmas. So, yeah, I'll probably say that one. Yeah, I think I put it on Facebook that time that I was going to name my firstborn, Curtis Allen. Uh, I don't think the missus was too happy with that. There are still no kids yet, so we'll see. We'll see. There's still, still kids happening. <laughs> um, so Adam Davidson says, thoughts on the current setup in comparison to when you joined the club? Well, obviously, it's night and day. Um, listen, there's big, pre- big pressure from, from coming from all angles to, to the players and, and all sorts. You know, you sign big players, you spend a lot of money, you know, you look return on that and um, I think it'll take a wee bit of time to, to, to bed them all in, but it's fantastic. The club needed the financial. There's no doubt about that. They needed some financial backing, and they're going the right direction. And you know, I'm glad to see that that they're going full time along with the other different clubs. And you know, the, in terms of the stadium and stuff, hopefully, you know, being very developed, it can only be good for Irish League, only be good for the players. I just wish it had happened maybe like five years ago when I was sort of <laughs> more so, you know, in, in the sort of peak of my career, because I would have loved to have been. You know, part of that journey and, and, and part of it and listen it is what it is you know when the players are there are very lucky and you know part of like maybe Marcus Kane um you know Elliot's not really playing anymore and, 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 and well I suppose Willie Garth's there too although he doesn't sort of play too much um you know they'll really be thankful for what's going on and, and the setup and the change rooms and, and the professionalism the gym and, and all them sorts of things because they know what it was like 10 years ago and, and when you were out there fighting for your life and getting the views left, right, and centre, and and you know not winning games or not expected to win games and things like this. And listen, that's fantastic. I probably I would love to have been involved for a bit longer, but as I say, there's 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 a bit of pressure on the on the squad there with a the squad that they have that they you need to produce. Well, there's a, another question here from uh, Marcus Keane, um, and you promised him you'd answer this on the podcast. Yeah. So he says, uh, "How does that hair always sit perfect?" Her gel, that's, 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 that's all I can say. You know, it's her gel. And people think that I'm you know, sitting in a mirror before. To be honest, the only reason I put the her gel on it before the match was because if it didn't, it used to like flop down and really, it would be really off putting, like flopping about and you're sort of, um, you know, round down by your eyes. And, and there was one time that it sticks out. I remember, like, it was Europa League playoff and that was happening. I don't know where I'd forgot the gel or whatever it was, but. I went over and I put Vaseline. There was only thing I think was like, I'm going to put Vaseline. And then the photographer of this photo of 
somebody giving me Vaseline and me putting them hair. And then there was this whole big thing about me putting Vaseline in my hair and all that, you know. And I was like, it, it was awkward if I didn't have it, you know. It wasn't a, you know, Jack Grealish, you know, sort of vanity thing. It was more so that was just, you know, what I did to try and help me. It, it, it actually helped me play and listen to her jar and all that there. But uh, yeah, the hair gel went in there and it, and it sticks and I still do it now. Well, we've got um, one final one, and it's from William Noble, and um, I concur with it absolutely. It's it's not so much a question. He says, could you let Curtis know that we wanted you to end your career at the Glens, and it's unfortunate that it didn't work out that way. And I would say that I absolutely concur with that. And every single Glen man, Curtis, would be really thankful for what you contributed to Glenthorne throughout your career, and you're more than deserving of being um, labelled a Glenthorne legend. So just, you've given us so many good memories, and you really did carry the team at times. I don't know what we would have done without you, so I just want you to know that you, you are appreciated by everyone. No, no, listen, that, that, that means a lot. And as I say, you know, uh, when I came to the club, I said I'd give it all, and, and that's what I did. And um, listen, as I said, I would have loved to have, have finished my career there and stayed within the club and, you know, in some sort of capacity and, and things like that. But it wasn't to be. And if it was a case of, you know, where I had to sort of step aside because something massive which has happened to the club, you know, happened in terms of financial backing and it's benefited not only the first team, but it's, it's trickled down to the Know, the the academy and and the people who's now employed within the club and, and, and all that sorts of things then by all means you know I'm happy that I did have to step aside to allow you know that to happen so that's still you know fond of the club although we're rivals and all that now and you know I'll, I'll still always be trying my best to, to do all I can for Corey and while I'm there but that's I love to see that the fans happy and, and having that belief back again because that's what football's about it's it's about that belief and that want of we might do something and the club's moving in the right direction and, and you know, I'll definitely be, you know, down and obviously the, the legends thing and, and, and bringing my, my son down to the matches and, and years to come and who knows whether I could be doing something within the club or, or, or just watching, you know, the games and, and, you know, I'm still thankful and I've made a lot of friends at the club and I'm thankful for all the things that the fans did give while I was there. Well, Curtis, I just want to thank you for coming on the podcast. You've been an absolutely super guest and um, I think everyone's really going to love this, both Glen Horn and Corian fans. Um, so, Thanks very much for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me on.